0: Welcome back to the Most Accurate Podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by friend in life, the man who has been very busy over the weekend for all the rankings changes, none other than John Paulson. John, how's it going?
1: Things are picking up. I will say that there's, you know, these these uh, older running backs are signing. There's there's things happening. So, yeah, I've been busy with the rankings.
2: John, would you say it's been a quieter summer than usual, by the way? I- I feel like teams have gotten better at preventing training camp injuries, which is what leads to all the rankings chaos. It's been a quiet ranking summer so far. I just jinxed it. but
0: That
1: voice, oh, yeah. of
0: course, is also our guest of honor, none other than Roto World's own, Pat Daugherty. And I think I always mispronounced the irish last name so hopefully i got it correct that time you came as a
2: friend of 20 years now you came as close as humanly possible darty you i think which i think you said i think you added like one extra twang or like yeah um but yeah patrick darty and i uh started talking before you
0: even introduced me that's okay we got to see each other over expo weekend and we're happy to have you here because there is a lot to talk about quickly Before we begin, though, reminder, the 4 for 4 Pro subscription is available to everyone. Only $39. It would be more if it were up to me. Corporate instead batted me away and said, make it cheap for everyone. And if you use the promo code DAGLE10, you will get 10% off that $39. Not monthly, literally for the entire year to see all of Paulson's rankings and projection changes, as well as everything, literally everything. My team previews, my updates, Paulson's rankings log changes, our sleepers on the site, everything for that price locked in. But before we begin, boys, let's get to the big news of the week because the Jets signed Dalvin Cook finally off the streets for $7 million guaranteed one-year deal. Cook has not yet reported to camp with this chronic shoulder injury that has haunted him after shoulder, shoulder off-season surgery for his entire time with the Vikings. But a seven-year deal still makes him a top-10 back and cap hit this season. Pat, more importantly, how are you handling the Brees Hall ADP change now that we expect him to be in a timeshare, at least to start the year?
2: I was off Brees before in our draft guide. I wrote him up as like our overvalued player because I just couldn't, it felt so aspirational, the entire Brees Hall case, because we saw what happened last year with J.K. Dobbins. It's not a one-to-one comparison, but a needed reminder maybe that these recoveries are not always so seamless. And then- The Jets all offseason, like just kind of making it clear they were going to add competition. I was very wary, very leery. And I buy the arguments that Dalvin Cook is if not not washed close to wash, that's borne out in all the efficiency metrics, even the counting stats, you know, the boomer counting stats, not as efficient as he used to be. But yeah, this is like as close to an all in team as you're ever going to see. They're not going to wait around for Brees Hall to get healthy. I think in best ball, like, we're just, you know, some of the smartest voices in our industry now are kind of like best ball focused. And Patrick Crane has talked about, you know, how it doesn't matter with Brees because in the second half of the season, that's what you're really drafting him for. But in redraft, though, I mean, it does matter. The season is so short for Brees to help you in the playoffs. You have to make the playoffs. And there's no guarantee that he's just going to come back and like start taking like a lion's share of what is going to be a committee. And I, at, So before I thought Brees was way too high. There is a chance as always happens with these things. There's an overcorrection and he becomes like way too low. Maybe falls out like the top 24 at running back. That probably won't happen, but I I would need a steep, steep discount to be interested in Brees Hall because a a guy was already off before to
0: say that hasn't, this hasn't brought me any closer to him. And that's what makes it a fun discussion, Paulson, is because both sides have an argument. We usually just follow the money, and the money suggests that this will be a committee now. But also, a second year back, Brees Hall, we know, per the Twitter therapist, the fantasy therapist, as they like to be called, throughout the offseason, they have said that Players off of a torn ACL the next year, usually the ones that bounce back historically, have been elite athletes that catch passes. And Brees Hall not only led every running back last year with 21 air yards per game and a 12.5% target share himself, but also he's a 90th percentile athlete. He's the kind of player we want to target if the ADB dips. So how are you handling it in redraft leagues?
1: Well, the funny thing is, here is we're all worried about Brees Hall's health, and he's back at practice. I don't think he's in team drills yet, but he's back at practice. Meanwhile, Dalvin Cook and his bulky shoulder, which we've been worried we've been worried about this shoulder uh, for a number of years now, and uh, you know, one hit he could be done for. Six they weeks pop that
2: thing back in three or four times a year. It's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's no big deal, I guess. But uh, you know, Hall's back. Uh, we'll we'll see how quickly they ramp him up. I think. You know, this people are probably overreacting a little bit. I, I'm probably guilty of as well, like thinking Delvin, thinking of Dalvin Cook two or three years ago, joining this team. And like, what does that mean? But it, it does seem like the beat writers are saying this is still Reese Hall's backfield one healthy. And, you know, if he were still on PUP for another week or two, then I would definitely start getting worried about week one. But the fact that he's back at practice, says they're going to uh, get him back into team drills next week. Uh, it sounds like he's more healthy uh, than the cook is. So I, you know, moved him down to 20 and I moved him back up to 16 or 17 right now on half PPR, because I think he does have that talent and he does have what you mentioned, John, which was the uh, physical tools to recover from this uh, ACL injury quickly. These, these are the guys, these kind of freaky guys that are uh, coming like Adrian Peterson. I'm not saying he's in Adrian Peterson's category, but. These are the guys that you do target young athletic players coming off these ACLs. And he he got injured a little bit before Javante Williams uh, as well, which made me a little bit more bullish on him heading to the offseason as well.
0: My DMs have been hammered, not with women, unfortunately, but with people trying to figure out if Brees Hall is an ideal target at the beginning of the fifth round. Because what's happening right now with everyone who's drafted thus far is they can start from one of those top five picks with a Christian McCaffrey or Austin Eckler or a top wide receiver, Jamar Chase, then go a Jalen Hurts, Chris Olave, and eventually just comes back to them with two wide receivers, uh, maybe even three in an elite quarterback, and Brees Hall sitting there at the beginning of the fifth at the beginning of the fifth round. Pat, is that a place where you would feel comfortable taking him even in an anchor RB build?
2: no, i'm just I'm too much of a boomer. I'm too risk averse. I'm just one of those guys who are like, I'll let someone else bet on the recovery. you know, and it would be one thing if we were only betting on the health. like that that is something we're like, okay, whatever, as long as this guy's healthy, there's no one else in this backfield. Uh, there's a $7 million back in this backfield now, like you said, signed by the team's new general manager, Aaron Rodgers, who seems to really, really, really like Dalvin Cook after playing against him for 40 years or whatever. And the the fact that now there's a second obstacle in his way. So I, I would have been leery with just the health. The fact that it's now the health and that there is now competition, maybe he'll be washed or maybe he'll be rejuvenated a little bit, Dalvin Cook, this year. I mean, who the heck really knows? I mean, he's probably not going to be rejuvenated. But uh, I'm—he's basically on my do not draft board, which shouldn't exist because everyone should be draftable at the right ADP. But you will just not
0: find me taking any Brees Hall shares in my home leagues and my redrafts. And just to give everyone an example, Paulson, who are the names that you still have just ahead of Brees Hall and just behind him?
1: Well, I'm looking at it right now uh, Ramondre Stevenson ahead of him, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders. But Miles Sanders is supposedly going to miss the whole preseason he's like he i really like him in this in this bell cow role in carolina but the the fact that he's already dinged up and he this is a history of you know injury history of of Nas sanders previous years uh it's tough uh i have alexander Madison ahead of him aaron jones of course i love aaron jones so at, behind him right now Najee harris with the whole jalen warren uh possibly digging into his backfield a little bit kenneth walker cam Akers. cam acres is interesting though given all that all those touches he saw late last year, he looked pretty good. And Travis Etienne behind him.
0: And, and that's another thing, Pat, when people try to, for Brie for me, moving him down the rankings just slightly, it was more about everyone else behind him and just saying, I can't put that guy ahead of Brie Like Travis Etienne is in a three-headed committee. Brie is only two-headed. Why would I want to put Etienne ahead of him?
2: Yeah, ETN. that's a t- – I still – ETN. I'm just like uh, – yeah, there I just immediately abandoned the argument I made for Breesaw, just betting on talent. Uh, I would be willing to bet on the Breesaw talent if it wasn't ACL recovered. Travis Etienne, I'm still comfortable betting on the talent. And maybe last year is his ceiling, but I also think it's close to his floor for ETN, which is why I may, maybe he's just going to be like a narrow range player, kind of like a, a Nick Chubb that's more pass-catching based than between the tackles based, but like – a Nick Chubb player where it's like a really narrow range every year, but he hits that range every year. That's kind of how Travis Etienne feels to me.
1: When you're talking about Travis Etienne, you gotta keep Nick Chubb's name out of your mouth.
2: No, no, That's very true. different <laughs> runners. But I'm saying the same the same kind of fantasy, like range of distributions. Yeah, I gotcha. It's a narrow range of distribution for Travis Etienne. And maybe we wish the higher the ceiling would be higher. Uh the ceiling cap by the touch competition, but I
0: just think the floor is so high with Travis Etienne. And if you are thinking Dalvin Cook is an RB two or three to pad for the first month of the season, while Brees Brees Hall is very clearly brought along slowly, just remember the Jets opened the year against the Bills, Cowboys, Patriots, Chiefs, Broncos in Denver, and the Eagles. I don't know how many situations are going to be friendly for Dalvin Cook in that six game stretch.
2: Man, that is uh, pretty bad. I was waiting for like, I was waiting for like the one, you know, Texans. And it didn't, did not come. The I was,
1: other... I was, I was actually watching the uh, Hard Knocks last night with my wife. We we're watching, and we always watch it every year. And I, I did tell her, I go, I think the, I'm rooting against the Jets the most. I think I'd rather see the Vikings or the Bears win a Super Bowl than the Jets this year.
0: The other big ADP adjustment from this weekend is Ezekiel Elliott landing for roughly $6 million with the Patriots. Ramondre Stevenson was previously going around the second or third round turn. Pat, how are you viewing Stevenson and redraft leagues now?
2: I'm viewing way less of a hit for Ramondre Stevenson. And to me, it doesn't really change anything for Ramondre Stevenson. except for there were probably people thinking maybe there's one more step for Ramondre Stevenson to take. He was already a low end RB1 last year, but maybe he can ascend to like the top five or six if they don't add any touch competition, which he was some weeks last year, top five or six. I think the only thing that's changed is that Zeke kind of removes like that another gear possibility. But I think low end RB1 is still a pretty reasonable bet for Ramondre Stevenson and a classic guy who already used to operating a committee. That would kind of went wonky at times last year where Damian Harris's injury issues meant it really wasn't a committee a lot of weeks. But I think the only thing that really changes for Andre is that it removes the possibility of him ascending another level. But I think that he can remain at that level we saw for almost all of 2022. And I'm still fine with him as like, a, as a meat and potatoes guy. Oh yeah. on like the two, three turn. And to someone, you're not going to get that extra gear, but you're going to get,
0: I think the 2022 gear. I went to change my personal rankings, Paulson. And I saw Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs right behind from Andre, and I thought I can't draft him behind those guys. I still want Stevenson over those players giving their own warts. So what are your thoughts with Stevenson now?
1: So you must have Stevenson at like eight then, right? Nine
0: Something overall.
1: Like yeah. Nine overall. Okay. So yeah, I mean, he's a really talented player. Fourth in yards after contact per attempt. Second and broken tackles uh per attempt per profile football reference. Uh and that was as a rookie last year. He was good again in those uh, metrics. Uh I think the one concern here is not that Ezekiel Elliott is a better running back, is going to steal a lot of carries or touches from Ramondre. It's that he might steal uh, goal line touches. Uh, TJ Hernandez had a funny tweet. He's like, I'm not worried about this because the Patriots are unlikely to be in goal, goal-to-goal situations uh, this year. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but no, I, did, I moved him down a little bit. I moved him back up a little bit. It's I, I'm having a, I, I just think that Elliott is probably just going to take over all those other touches that those other running backs were gonna get in that backfield and Stevenson's role is gonna be pretty much unchanged. I do think there is a chance that, you know, maybe Elliott's getting half those goal goal line carries. And that does ding Stevenson a little bit, but not a whole lot. Given the given landscape, this R B two landscape, I think he's still a low end RB one.
0: Only James Conner had a higher rate of first down on third and fourth down carries than Ezekiel Elliott last year. He still moves the chains. It's why the Patriots signed him. But the angle I've been taking, Pat, is that I don't know how often Elliott can be on the field for this team this year because everyone looks at their defense last season, third in EPA overall, but the metrics lie to you because this team in eight wins, all they did was pad those stats for 10.7 points per game against rookies and backup quarterbacks. 8 no in that situation. In the other games, they allowed a league-high 29 points per game against Tua Lamar, Aaron Rodgers, Justin Fields, Kirk Cousins, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and Derek Carr, average to above-average quarterbacks. And all they did was add a first-round cornerback. So I think... The defense is yet again going to sneakily be very bad. And thus, there is no situation for Zeke to be on the field over Ramondre.
2: Yeah, those two Zach Wilson starts swapped out for two
0: Aaron Rodgers. Helps your starts. defense a lot. Yeah.
2: I, it is, I think that'll, the Patriots' defense will probably normalize like a little bit, both in terms of like they're, they're not going to have as many people to feast on, but then against the good offenses, they're not going to be quite as bad as they were last year. So it was one of the most shocking splits of the entire 2022 season. Like there was kind of like no refuting it. I was like, "Yep, that's uh, undeniable. They were absolutely horrific against good teams, and you know, like the '85 Bears against every which you would expect from Bill Belichick to devour Zach Wilson's alive." But and, and also, though, I think it will normalize a little bit. It's going to be such a more rationally sequenced offense, or I think the floor of the offense definitely comes up. Maybe the ceiling doesn't really come up, even with Mac Jones. But just the floor of the offense, like from like they're going to have like an actual offensive coordinator, an actual play sequencing now. So that should help. And I do, Zeke, though, is going to be, he's going to be the guy at the goal line. There's just no denying that.
0: An RB5 or six, in my opinion, Paulson, but you need him to fall forward for a couple touchdowns for him to actually be flexible.
1: Yeah, he, he has a little bit of uh, attrition upside if there's an injury to Stevenson. I, I think he's probably, you know, going to get the lion's share of the touches if, if there's an injury there. But yeah, I've got him as an RB4 right now.
0: Underdog Pick'Em went live in Colorado over the weekend as well, so you can sign up there today. Now, with those projection changings out of the way, it's time to get to our sleepers. Now, I created one caveat for y'all, and that is 14th round on, actual sleepers. You can't show up and say Christian Watson is a sleeper in the fifth round. And I've heard the rule I made has already been broken. So, Pat, let's start with you. Go ahead and lead us off with your first sleeper. You want everyone to draft and redraft leagues.
2: I'm not breaking the rule. I think my guy is 14th or beyond, but he's not going to sound like a sleeper to your savvy audience. And i also give the same disclaimer, which I'm sure you guys probably agree with. is like, like sleepers just don't really exist anymore, do they? And at, at the expo, you, you can follow up on that stuff, but John, at the expo, I talked about the example of Arian Foster. It was 2009, 2010. The area is an undrafted rookie. Like Everyone in the industry knew like Arian Foster wasn't actually, shouldn't have been an undrafted player. Was going to lead the Texans' backfield it was basically going to blow up, but like the general public just didn't know because the fantasy content wasn't as good. The content has gotten so much better. The average drafter is so much better informed that like sleepers, as we knew it when we first started in fantasy, don't really exist anymore. So it is like these guys with like zero point floors basically, and the ceilings much harder to find than the sleepers. Uh,
0: so it is sleepers like a strange concept now, which is kind of why I went with Dark Horse for this article. But you go, John. Which is also why the takeaway for me this early on, knowing that everyone still has to draft, uh, the two last weekends of August and the first weekend of September have now become the biggest fantasy football weekend. So the, the drafts have also been pushed down. Thus, ADP hasn't corrected or adjusted for itself yet. But what's happened as well, because everyone's more astute, is that rounds four through eight have become. Fadeable players in a dead zone, and that everyone is a high floor, no ceiling option, like Miles Sanders, high floor, no ceiling. Um, don't mind taking him like in an underdog draft when he falls to pick seventy and beyond. But yeah, that's what that's what really what's happened now. It's it's become more obvious for players that don't have ceiling to fade with your top five draft pick capital, as opposed to sleepers in the later rounds.
2: So for my first sleeper, just Can Tank Dell still count? Um, like again, tier. Yeah, to your audience, he doesn't sound like a sleeper. He is going after the 14th round, and he was the classic guy. Like I wish like, oh, maybe a tank could have had a little uh, worse like preseason debut. Um, instead, he discontinued with the drum beat, which started before the draft apparently when C.J. Stroud told the Texans they got to get him. Uh, they went and got him. We all know about like the explosive college resume, the amazing compiling, it blows up spring practices, it was blowing up training camp practices, does exceptionally well in the preseason debut after the game, you know, the new coach is calling him explosive playmaker, all sorts of caveats, rookie quarterback, Robert Woods is still there. We really have no idea what the Texans receiver core is going to look like. Like John Mechie could be the number one receiver after not even playing last year, or it could be Nico Collins, or it could be Tank Dell, or it could be by default, like de facto uh, Dalton Schultz could be the number one receiver. This Tank Dell is a guy who has basically not given me a reason yet to like like uh, start to doubt the hype and it's kind of annoying when uh everyone starts getting in on a player because now tank dell is on everyone's radar who's paying attention to this kind of stuff but i think he deserves to be there and still going in the 14th round that's a place where i'm very comfortable taking a shot on tank dell again where there's just there's so many targets for the taking we fall in this trap all the time with rookies like oh this team's gonna have no choice but to target this guy and then we find out oh they very much do have a choice and they just target some like O- 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 Olimde Zacchaeus or something like that, you know. But have not found a reason to be out on Tank Dell yet. And the ADP is still reasonable to me. I love taking my Tank Dell flyers. Your thoughts
0: on Dell Paulson?
1: Yeah, I mean this this uh passing attack, this wide receiver room is wide open. I think Dalton Schultz does have a chance to lead the team in, in targets, but I think Tank Dell could as well as a uh low 80 AD, a dot type player low a dot player uh nico collins has been the player that i've been interested in because he's got a some experience and he's you know he was pretty solid last year 40 50 yards per game and uh you know losing brandon cooks i thought he you know it's certainly in best ball i think he's got more upside than than dell uh, on a week weekly basis but uh dell it's just been the steady drum de- drumbeat of positive news about him and uh quarterbacks like to throw to players that can get open and it sounds like he can get open and i think cj stroud has some uh upside as a passer i uh, was over at the reception perception uh site and uh you know we've got some interesting uh metrics there about the, the the class coming out and stroud is actually leading in most of those advanced metrics so uh so excuse me but i think there's some upside there with him so there might be a little bit of upside with this passing attack especially if the offense is bad and they're just going to have to throw the ball a lot more than, uh, you know, they'd like to, uh, in, you know, not hand the ball to the Damian Pierce, but have to throw it to all these receivers.
0: I still like Nico, of course, whose ADP is many, many rounds higher, um, given that his target per route, run rate jumped from 17 percent with Brandon cooks on the field last year to 24% with cooks off of it. Also remember the Texans quarterbacks were dead last last season, and catchable pass rate on throws 10 plus yards downfield. And C.J. Stroud led the nation in throws in completion rate 10 plus yards downfield. So I think we're getting more accurate and better deep shots for Nico Collins for sure. Having said that, Pat, it was admittedly sexy whenever Dell is targeted on eight of his 19 routes in the first preseason game. I don't know how they carve out a role for him because I still think as a top 12 run blocking receiver at Pro Football Focus anyways, and Robert Woods, and Nico being the art type of, Nico being the archetype of a receiver, they can't take off the field because none of the other guys like have the size speed combo. Um, I don't know how they get Dell targets in a limited law offense, but he at least is very different and very shifty from the other receivers there.
2: People kept pointing out to me, by the way, that it was uh, Davis Mills. He was cooking with over the weekend and not CJ Stroud and that. So we had to temper our expectations a little bit, but Uh, bob woods is just he is he's the looming specter Uh, i'm hoping we get like a surprise bob woods retirement announcement or something like august 30th Uh, that would that would do my dell shares a solid
0: paulson your first sleeper
1: yeah let's go to tight end we talked about dalton schultz he left the cowboys and there's this guy called jake ferguson who's you know and this is the 20th round ADP here, so uh, you know. And we talk about sleepers. I I just go back to my, I have a friend. I talk about my fireman friend, and he he starts to pay attention in the mid of mid August, and he doesn't know any of these guys. So I, I think it's worth worthwhile discussion uh, for people that are tuning in now to get up to speed. But Jake Ferguson, uh, you know, had a good preseason game, three for three targets, uh, four point seven five yards per run. Thanks to Hayden Winks for those stats. Uh, he was ninth amongst uh, tight ends with at least twenty targets last year in routes per or yards per route run one point six six. Uh, they did draft Luke Shoemaker in the second round, but he's been sidelined with a foot injury, so he's like behind the eight ball. And Ferguson, meanwhile, is balling. So I think, you know, that plus what George Kittle said about him, which was interesting. I think it was Matt Harmon who asked him, "Who's next at the position?" And he was one of three. Jake Ferguson was one of three players, along with Sam Laporta and Daniel Bellinger. Who were uh, up and coming tight ends at the position? So you know, getting that endorsement from Kittle, going to be playing starter snaps with a good quarterback, Dak Prescott. The only concern here, I think, is you know Mike McCarthy trying to make this more run oriented team. But I think they're going to throw the tight end, and uh, you know he's a, he's a great pick there as a tight end too. If you're especially if you're like worried about your tight end position at all, if you if you go late tight end and might want, want to have a little bit of upside, this is a situation where you might to take a second tight end, Jake Ferguson.
2: Yeah, I would say Ferguson too. I like that. So Shoemaker, I was like, wow, you know that that's concerning when they draft a tight end in the second round. But the media and the coaching staff has been pretty consistent since the spring that Jake Ferguson is going to be the starting tight end. And there is a targets need in Dallas. I mean, they added Brandon Cooks, but still a fairly narrow. It's not the most narrow target tree, especially if Michael Gallup bounces back. But there are targets for the taking. And I just like that. Yeah, they have not wavered that it's going to be Jake Ferguson. I mean, maybe it won't be jake ferguson all year if shoemaker schoonman i can never pronounce this guy's name uh starts to come on and show something early in the season but they have not wavered then that it's going to be jake ferguson even if it's more run heavy it's still dak prescott i mean this guy's gonna be throwing the ball at least 35 times a game and he's going to like the true nowheresville of tight end like it's luke musgrave it's like tyler Conklin, it's dawson knox and just the history of the Cowboys' offense under Dak Prescott, really the history of offense under Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy's trying to talk about running, but like, uh, man, we did we could see you in Green Bay, Mike McCarthy, and it really wasn't always your thing. I, I think he could. There could be a lot of targets
0: there for Jake, for
2: not tight end one, tight end one level targets, of course, but enough targets to make him a
0: viable streamer. Ferguson made two starts for Dalton Schultz last year and was a top eight tight end in one of those. Also, if you include his three targets from Cooper Rush in the first preseason game, going back to last year, his 22.7% target per run rate would have finished seventh among all tight ends last season. I think he is a starter who can earn targets and only has a day two tight end whose name we can't pronounce in his way. Thus, I think he's an amazing last round option. I as well... I'm all in on Jake Ferguson.
2: Are you still a Cowboys fan, by the way, Daigle?
0: That fanhood died like a decade ago. (laughs) Whenever you start working this job, you just lose everything, and you want players to get paid. That happened to me with the Rams. I I actually can't believe Paulson still has love. I appreciate it because no, my heart died long ago.
2: Some people keep the love. Mike Clay still he gets like a new Eagles tattoo on his chest every year. He won't admit it, but
0: yeah, some people keep the love. My sleeper I want to start with is someone high stakes players have caught on to. I've seen his ADP now go to the 12th round, but in home leagues, no one is going to know who Marvin Mims is. And it's a player I want to leave every redraft league with, especially after Tim Patrick's unfortunate Achilles injury, now opening the path for Mims to play in three wide sets. Mims had an odd career under Lincoln Riley, who is an offensive guru, but like Arthur Smith, does not care about your college fantasy team. He uses players where they are best capable on the field, which is also why Jordan Addison was removed from the slot last season with USC and instead put more on the boundary where he didn't have as much success. But Mims, quietly, second in yards per route run from his career among this class, and Power 5 receivers, only behind Jackson Smith and Jigba, who everyone, of course, is fawning over. Mims also, 95% of his career touchdowns in college occurred on targets 20 yards deep. He is basically little Christian Watson, and no one knows it. Also remember, Sean Payton, his very first pick of the Broncos' tenure was, in fact, Marvin Mims. So now with this pathway open, with Cortland Sutton being dangled this offseason, with Jerry Judy being tried to trade for a first-round pick, and, of course, no one bought on it, I really do think there's a path here for Mims to explode as a flex or wide receiver three in home leagues, and I want him, Pat, everywhere.
2: Yeah, I mean you made all the most important points, most important of which being he's just the only guy – taken by this new coaching staff a coaching staff we know that is obsessed with its guys the fact that it went out and acquired adam troutman signed guys like tony jones bringing in like all the sean payton system knowers they think marvin mims is a sean payton system knower the one guy they were able to bring and like you said too after they tried to get rid of everyone else and like the one guy that can maybe really like earn their favor with like hard nose type play tim patrick now out for the year not that sean payton's out on jerry judy or Cortland sutton but we just know he's in on Marvin Mims. And he, he he seems like the classic archetype in fantasy, like the kind of wide receiver four who has a zero-point floor, but he's the kind of guy who can, like, flip a matchup on two catches because if he has two catches for 81 yards and a touchdown, um, the kind of guy where maybe you can play matchups with, like, this seems like a week where Marvin Mims might be able to get a big play. And maybe he won't and we will get you a zero. He just feels like that guy that you want to have on your bench and when you need to use him has the kind of upside to flip a matchup any thoughts paulson
1: yeah i mean i think he's that's one of those funny deals is when you get the wide receiver three with some talent you've now if you if you draft him late you have upside injury upside with two different players so if judy goes down or Sutton Sutton goes down you've doubled your attrition upside and now you have a wide receiver two and a or maybe maybe even the wide receiver one in an offense with russell wilson and uh, sean payton running things so uh, i think I do like drafting these third type uh, third receivers late, who have that talent that will uh, potentially be able to explode if uh, there's an injury ahead of them.
0: Pat,
2: your second sleeper for everyone. Man, I've really been dithering on which one to say. There's a lot up here. I'm gonna go with Cedric Tillman, which I kind of don't want to say. We're really getting to
0: sleepers now, I know,
2: okay? Because Cedric Tillman, as we know, could be to nowhere's bill this year. He could like barely get any targets, but. Yeah. And Paulson mentioned earlier, like player comments. I couldn't help but notice when Randy Moss was like, yeah, this guy is one of the best receiver prospects I've ever seen in my life. He apparently said that about Cedric Tillman and just Donovan Peoples-Jones, people don't really realize, I mean, got close to like 900 yards last year, played pretty well uh, with Deshaun Watson, but he's also had three years where DPJ kind of looks like a hard ceiling player. Pretty good chance last year was maybe DPJ's career year and just, uh, Cedric Tillman is the kind of guy that Deshaun Watson I think just could really have success with down the field. Just such a high-ceiling player, zero cost, doesn't have an ADP in home leagues. And this is a guy I love as a late-round flyer. And again, maybe he's like the first guy you cut. But another guy who's kind of had a drumbeat summer, kind of had a drumbeat camp where he's, just, he's impressed the coaches, he's impressed the players, he's impressed the Browns media. And again, it, it could be a healthy scratch week one. But I just feel like there's so much upside at you know a non-existent ADP that I find myself drafting Cedric Tillman, who are my final two
0: picks in basically every draft I do. The point I always make, Paulson, is that Tillman's Tennessee teammate, Jalen Hyatt, picked just one spot by the Giants in the NFL draft in the third round before Tillman came off the board to Cleveland. Jalen Hyatt had 500 yards and four touchdowns total through his first two seasons because Cedric Tillman was the better player there. And yes, Hyatt won the Bolitnikoff Award for being the nation's best receiver last year, but only because Tillman yet again opened the year with six catches for 83 yards and nine catches for 160 yards and a touchdown, and then suffered a seasoning ending ankle injury, getting out of the way for Hyatt to explode. Tillman also was a 21-year-old breakout, 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns in the NFL of college, the SEC. So I do believe Tillman can emerge as a in three wide sets with Deshaun Watson.
1: I have him you know as wide receiver four on the depth chart. Uh, I'm skeptical uh, given the the buzz out of camp with Peoples Jones. He's apparently apparently been locked into two receiver sets with Amari Cooper. Uh, they're they're working on Elijah Moore uh, as the third receiver and you know handing him screens and all you know these you know jet sweeps and all these things. So I think Tillman is. I mean your your points are valid. I just think Tillman is going to need an injury to Amari Cooper or Peoples Jones or or Moore to, to to get on the field. But again, now you've got three players. Any one of them could go down, and now you have a, a pretty talented player entering the the starting lineup with Deshaun Watson, who uh, a lot of folks think that he's going to bounce back this year.
2: Paulson you are right about DPJ also having a good camp but when I hear like screens and jet sweeps for Elijah Moore like to me that sounds like good news like oh they don't know how to get this guy the ball uh Cedric Tillman can maybe I don't know that'd be a pretty pretty big three receiver set but Elijah Moore's probably gonna be in there but I I just love I just love said as one of the the truly free flyers again this is it's we're talking true sleepers here, guys. Uh, DPJ
0: also in the final year of his contract, so you can see him kind of moving out of the way. And remember, with Deshaun Watson under center for that last month-and-a-half stretch, the Browns up their pass rate from 11 personnel, three wide sets, to 76%, top 10 in the NFL. So we do think there's more room for three wide sets in this offense. So I can certainly see him happening, especially with deeper benches, and we're holding on to rookie wide receivers for second-half breakouts. You, you said it better than me. Paulson, your next guy.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm waffling here. Who I want to talk about next, just to make sure we get all of them in before we we break. But let's let's talk about Kenneth Gainwell's situation in, in, in Philly. I mean, he's he's going 1309. So it's a, this is the cheat cheating. But I, but I wanted to talk about it because I wanted to get your guys' take on this whole uh, situation with Rashad Penny, uh, DeAndre Swift uh, playing in this first preseason game. Nick Sirianni came out after and said, "Well, it's just their turn." Blah blah blah. But then he also said that the starters rested because we have. Joint practices on Monday, so the indication was that all the starters rested for Philly, and that indicates that maybe Gainwell's ahead of these guys. Uh, I, I dug up four different beat writers who, some of them I hadn't heard of before, but they've been at camp. Uh, I got flamed because I quoted uh, Elliot Shore Parks or whatever his name is, and he's just, I guess, not the greatest. You gotta be careful in terms there. Of he, it, He's uncorked game. some
2: takes in the past. A lot of times, not uh, about football.
1: But I, but I found three others, and they're all saying that Gainwell's getting the most touches. Uh, he's looked the best, and that he's likely to be the starter. Now, this is going to be a committee. I think we know that uh, they didn't sign Rashad Penny and trade for DeAndre Swift just to give Gainwell 400 touches or something. But if Gainwell is the lead back, uh, he—I mean—it's possible that we could see a Miles Sanders type season emerge. Uh, but Sanders saw 279 touches last year. I think that's steep for any running back to expect that out of this backfield. But at the cost of a 13th rounder, he's the third uh, Eagles running back going off the board. Um, should we be getting some some uh, gain well on our rosters at this point, uh, given uh, all these uh, tea leaves that we're reading?
2: I mean, I think absolutely we're he's the one true system knower. We know how important that is. Uh, we know all about the horrible injury histories for both Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift, especially Rashad Penny. And I think even if the Eagles coaching staff intention is to make Kenneth Gainwell, the number three running back, that they just might not be able to help them help themselves. They could not stop giving this guy important snaps down the stretch last season. They really, really like Kenneth Gainwell. So the indications remaining this summer, they still really like Kenneth Gainwell and really hard to be trying to break in like two new veteran backs for like big touch shares and, like, that's kind of unwieldy. I could just see it just being easier for them to, like, whatever, just keep Kenny out there. Like, we'll try to bring Penny and Swift along, and then just kind of never really happens. And, like, like you said, the problem is it's going to be a, not just a committee but probably a three-back committee. But there's just been indicator lights all summer that it, it, he could be the leader of a three-man committee, Kenneth Gainwell. And they've been blinking
0: increasingly red as training camp has progressed. We just need to use more context when talking about Philadelphia's backfield. And all the news has lacked that it's all relative. Like the Eagles' RB1 is still not getting 300-plus touches. The reason we draft Gainwell nine, 10 rounds later in home leagues over DeAndre Swift is because we're still playing a game. We're playing a game of fantasy football. And the game was allowing us to take a ambiguous committee back ten rounds later than the guy perceived as a starter. That's not how you play the game. Invest that kind of capital in DeAndre Swift. Not only that, but remember, DeAndre Swift, the former number 35 overall pick in a draft, uh, was traded for a fourth round pick because because the Eagles can get that pick back if he doesn't re sign there. It was strictly an organizational move. Maybe they really do like Swift, but there's so much more behind the scenes going on in that they can just get a we, they can basically get Swift for nothing, sprinkle him in, and then he walks, they get the pick back. It's okay. So I have severe doubts in DeAndre Swift and think just citing his target share, like eighth most targets among running backs last year, I think using highlighting that data for everyone is not using it correctly. It's not providing all the context. So I take Gainwell, even as an RB2 or 3, if I don't have many running backs to that point in drafts in the later rounds every time.
1: I just wanted to I just wanted to add uh, pat alluded to it uh the increased touch uh snap shares for Gainwell down the stretch. I mean in the playoffs he saw 37%, 42% and then 51% of the snaps. That 51% was in the Super Bowl. He outtouched Miles Sanders 11 to 7 in that Super Bowl, uh 51% to 35% in terms of snaps. So it was trending this way and they let Sanders walk. Uh and you know they obviously like Gainwell. Now they did add competition i do think Rashad penny certainly from a metric standpoint advanced stats metric standpoint he's outstanding and if he's healthy he could he could crush in this offense i think deandre swift is explosive good pass catcher can run the ball as well but just the like you said these indicator lights uh you know kind of pointing to to Gainwell as the third back off the board in this backfield as maybe perhaps the starter
2: one final thing on penny this one's more like anecdotal or gut but as we know, Penny in Seattle, he seemed to be like a rhythm player. Where he didn't really start impressing people till he was getting 15 or 20 carries. That's when like Rashad Penny kind of became like this poor man's Adrian Peterson. And it's just hard to see him, you know, getting the level of work that it would require to like really impress this coaching staff on Sundays. And Penny too. So we're worried about Swift, but I'm as worried about Penny as I am about Swift. Where he's just gonna not, not gonna see the kind of workloads he needs to thrive and then to maybe like consolidate
0: his touch share. But if you asked me which one leads in fantasy points, it's probably still Penny and eight games
2: played. Yeah, that brings a really, really, really good point.
0: <laughs> Keeping on the theme of ambiguous backfields and trying to not spend capital there, I really think the worst mistake people can make in drafts is taking Alexander Madison with a top 60 pick. We continue extrapolating the touches from his six starts without Dalvin Cook from a completely different coaching staff. Not only that, per our friends at Sports Info Solutions, out of every back with 100-plus carries the last two years, Alexander Madison ranks last in yards per carry against light man boxes. Five defenders or fewer in the box. He's been bad. And so I very much worry about this ambiguous situation in the offense and then people taking Madison with a top 60 pick. Thus, we instead go to Ty Chandler, who is an 85th percentile athlete who comps to Jamal Charles and Tevin Coleman. Also got rave reviews in the first preseason game since he picked up pass blocks so well too. He's the kind of player I want to bet on, especially in this last round, hoping that he carves out a role or just outperforms Madison altogether. So it's a bet against an ambiguous situation that people are using high capital on, Pat.
2: Yeah, Madison, the one thing I always come back to, like he was playing behind almost an all-pro level back for the majority of his rookie contract, but to go through an entire rookie contract and not even reach 500 career touches when you stayed healthy. Like he just, exactly. He doesn't, exactly. He is. He just never ever forced their hand to make it like a true committee and earn a true one B role. They weren't like super aggressive about re-signing him. They did re-sign him, but he had four years an entire rookie contract to force a bigger role. And he just never did. He just seems like a replacement level player. And, Maybe they're fine with him leading a backfield for a year, like leading a committee for a year. That just, I just think that is that is their intention with Alexander Madison, though, to let him like kind of lead a committee. And yeah, seriously, maybe be like a Chase Evans player, where where we used to these plug and play starts, where he got like twenty to twenty five touches. Where I could see him much much more being in like the twelve to fifteen touch range on a weekly basis. And then often of the two that I think is going to be like even more pass heavy than it was last year. Uh, just, yeah, I, I'm part of the brigade. Brigades thing all the way off. Alexander Madison.
0: And Paul said, if he gets the touches, that's when it gets thrown back and pat in my face, right? Like if he gets the touches, he's still going to be there as a you know high end RB two, I guess. But the point is to bet against it because we don't try to fit players like Chase Edmonds in those kind of buckets and drafts. That's that's what led people to drafting Edmonds over Jalen Hurts in the sixth round last year.
1: Well, I tend to disagree. I think Madison is kind of underrated at this point uh, you know th- th- it's funny because it's like we have to draft him last year because he is a primetime handcuff if if if, if dalvin cook gets injured you've got rb1 numbers whenever madison plays and he did he delivered uh rb1 numbers now some of those defenses he played against weren't great but he still did it uh you know in the, in the games where he's had at least 10 carries he's averaged 18 touches for 88 yards 0.57 touchdowns uh, those thirteen uh, half PPR points are about what Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones scored as low-end RB ones last year, and the you know his, if his ADP was in the you know fourth round or third round or something, then I could understand a lot of caution. But I think fifth round, sixth round, which is where he's going, I'm looking at his ADP. You know, fifty-eight, thirty-seven, sixty-six, fifty-nine, seventy-three, eighty-seven, forty-six, going across the different sites. Uh, depending on where you're drafting, you might be able to get him sixth, seventh round. I think that's extremely fair value they've been talking about him as uh three down back uh and they've been resting him and they're just and he was you know you said he was bad but he was he had the number 14 rushing grade at uh, pff last year so i don't know how bad he is
2: i feel like we just got schooled john or john daigle sorry (laughs) Uh, but no he's uh... he's bad
0: uh (laughs) pat your final sleeper for everyone I don't know how much more we can nap since you already went Cedric Tillman, but please go to sleep.
2: Well, real quick, uh, this guy's not a sleeper. It's his 13th round, but I do think there's a non-zero percent chance Alec Pierce becomes the Colts number one receiver this year. I love Alec Pierce. Because he's a better fit for the kind of offense they probably have to play with Anthony Richardson. But I think I will go even more to sleep. This is like almost too ridiculous, but Michael Wilson with the Cardinals, who we we talked about with Marvin Mims, you know, the one player, the Broncos coaching staff, got to draft the, the one player, this new Cardinals brain trust got the draft in the receiver core is Michael Wilson. They're apparently transitioning. They, they want like the cliff, like army of like five foot eight slot receivers out. They want a bigger receiver core. He is the big receiver. He's been having a really strong training camp. Apparently Uh major quarterback problems, question marks between Colt McCoy and Clayton tune probably to begin the season. And maybe even Kyler Murray, of, of, of like a knee hobbled, uh, it's a phrase I stole from Evan Silva, by the way. If a knee hobbled, Kyler Murray comes back and, you know, is like not looking great in a bad offense. He could have bad quarterback play all year And Michael Wilson. But third round pick, uh, the one guy brought in by the new regime, having a really good camp, apparently fits the new offense they're going to run. And is getting like basically no buzz whatsoever in fantasy circle, which is understandable since this is a horrible offense. But Michael Wilson's another guy. Probably more in 14 team leagues, but like near the end of these deep drafts, I am drafting Michael Wilson.
0: And these $2,000 high stakes, 20 round leagues, Paulson, uh, I keep telling all my partners we are drafting Michael Wilson. Uh, We like players who perform well early on in their career in college, and he was actually a 19-year-old breakout, 670 yards, five touchdowns with Stanford, then suffered a Jones fracture in 2020, and from that point forward, missed more games, 16 absences, that he stayed healthy for, 14. But a 90th percentile athlete, as Pat mentioned, standing head and shoulders above the rest of their receivers. Quite literally. In an ambiguous offense from Colt McCoy and a new coaching staff and locked in, cemented in two wide sets based on every report, glowing reports, by the way, out of camp. So I, too, love Michael Wilson as a sleeper this year.
1: I would just mention Rondale Moore. uh, Had eight plus targets in five of his seven healthy games. That was not uh, seven, a real offense, John. Paulson. It was a, seven, a slot six, receiver seven, offense. Eight, well, yeah. I mean, this—what is this offense going to be? What is <laughs> no, the team going to be? No clue. And I it's will gonna, say, sorry,
2: John. Uh, it's going to be Clayton Tune, by the way, because Colt McCoy—he's at the stage of his career where, he, where when he plays, he gets hurt. He will get hurt in week one, and it's going to be Clayton Tune after that.
1: Well, what about Kyler Murray? Is he not going to play?
2: Not in week one, I don't believe so.
1: This has That's, this is. This offense is weirdly sneaky upside. If you look at it with, if you really cross your eyes and you can envision cross him four times, cross them four and maybe step back, take your glasses off because if Kyler Murray comes back in September and they're just getting killed, how many pass attempts is he going to have? He's pretty good. So I think there's some upside here, even with both of our, you know, both of our sleeper picks there.
0: It's not a fade. Marquise Brown take, it is a, again, this is no longer a horizontal slot receiver offense. Uh, Rondell Moore, of course, who I love as a player, but even in the team's first preseason game, only played in three wide sets from the slot. It's an entirely different offense. Thus, I think we can use that burner pick in redraft leagues that you usually just end up cutting after week one. I think we can use it on a player in the last round like Michael Wilson. Yeah,
2: Cardinals running a
0: real offense will be interesting to see. All right, Paulson. Your last sleeper.
1: I'm going to go with Sam Howell. We've talked about him on the podcast before. I'm but, glad you're
0: doing it.
1: You know, if you, if you go late ground quarterback and you maybe target a Geno Smith or an Anthony Richardson or something and you want to just have a little bit more upside on that uh, bench, maybe be able to play the committee, play the, play the matchups a little bit. I think Sam Howell has a lot of upside. Uh, he also has a lot of downside. Like, he could lose his job. Uh, but, you know, he's super intriguing to me. He's got you know, the 800-plus yards rushing in, uh, in college, that, that leads to, uh, in my rookie quarterback model, 34.6 rushing yards per game expected. Uh, for him, he had 828 yards and 11 touchdowns in his final college season. Uh, he was good against the, the Cowboys, 11 for 19 for 169 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, I think that was in week 18. He had 35 yards exactly and a touchdown as a runner in that game. In the preseason, he had uh, 443 for 69 for 547 yards, 7.9 yards per attempt, one touchdown, one interception in the preseason last year. He also had 94 rushing yards and two touchdowns on 13 attempts in the preseason. That's about 45 fantasy points and two to three games of work. He's going QB 30, QB 27, somewhere in that range. I have him in the top 20, I think, in Q, uh, two quarterback leagues, super flex leagues. He's a great guy to have as your third quarterback, and I would even roll with him as my second. Um, you could also get Jacoby Brissett super late if you wanted to give yourself some kind of insurance on that. But you know, I think the the big question here is Ron Rivera. But I think Eric Beany is going to have more of a say as to who the quarterback is than than Ron Rivera at this point. And they seem very comfortable with Howell as a starter. Plus, plus he's got a great receiving core. I mean, Terry McLaurin, uh, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, three I would say underrated receivers. Uh, Antonio Gibson in the in the backfield. So. He's got a lot of tools to work with.
0: Including his carries in the first preseason game against the Browns, Pat. Going back to last preseason, Sam Howe now has 19 carries on 137 dropbacks, uh, 13.5% scramble rate. Quarterback ADP has been the most accurate of any position the last few years, and I think it's because everyone understands that rushing quarterbacks are, to quote our friend Rich Bar a Konami code. They are a cheat code in the game of fantasy football. But for some reason, Sam Howe's ADP hasn't adjusted to it. And so I do believe he is the player. If I'm waiting, especially if you're thinking second starting quarterback in Superflex leagues, um, just a backup because you waited too long at the position. Sam Howe's the guy I am totally comfortable running out.
2: He is the guy and he's really the only option like because you're not going to find that rushing upside beyond like the QB 17 or 18. Like so I I don't really understand how the ADP has remained so stuck in neutral. Maybe there was this Jacoby Percet fear for a while, and you know, he could be really bad, but it would not be the first time we've had as long as he's not. Uh, who is it? Chad El- Sam Ellinger bad? Uh, we're fine, we're fine, folks. He just
0: Ian be Book bad, yeah, exactly. the, the bar for how bad you can well, be. Well, and
2: Sam Ellinger, we were kind of relying on the legs too, weren't we? He just needs to be better than Sam Ellinger, and we're fine. And it, the conversation inspired, I tweeted while we were talking Anthony Richardson at ADP or Sam Howell at ADP. And I just feel like it is a question that's not being asked enough this summer. So I'm glad we just did.
1: I actually wrote, I just, I wrote that he's arbitrage for Anthony Richardson. I mean, I think Richardson's ADP is going to climb. I moved him up a spot because now he's named a starter, but I mean, what's the huge difference between these two?
0: Anthony Richardson's still Superman. There
2: is, Uh, Yeah. He is. As Kyle always says, he's Derek, Derek Henry in a quarterback's body. Uh, Sam Howell is decidedly not that.
1: Okay, that's the difference.
0: I'm glad you're sticking around for the last one, though, Paulson, because I want to talk about Jaden Reed. Um, We discuss using ADP on ambiguous situations, and not only does Jaden Reed have better draft capital, number 50 overall pick, than fourth-round Romeo Dobbs last year, but Reed, when discussing Young players performing well in college. As an 18-year-old, Reed actually outperformed D. Eskridge at Western Michigan when they played together. Uh, Jaden Reed had 797 yards and eight touchdowns. Two Eskridge's three touchdowns. Uh, Reed also a player they can't possibly take off the field. Three wide sets to start the year, yes, but with 200-plus career receptions, 20-plus career carries, has thrown a touchdown in college, 15 yards for punt return, 20 yards per kick return. He's the kind of player who does it all and can power targets from the slot because he plays so much bigger than his size. So I will have a lot of Jaden Reed in redraft leagues.
1: Uh, yeah, I'll feel this just because I'm a Packer fan. I, I, was
2: just, I was just waiting for the, the Packers yeah. officially not to weigh in.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the, I had both both of these players listed here as potential people to talk about. So Dobbs and, and Reed, because you know Dobbs supposedly has looked like Jordan Love's number one target in camp. He does have a, a good contested catch rate. Uh, he's not, according to reception perception, a very good route runner. Uh, you don't see him get a lot of separation. Uh, Jaden Reed, I'm really excited about, uh, he conversely, uh, Matt Harmon loves his route running coming out of college and looks, he looks great. Um, I just think it's going to take some time for him to sort of get into the two two receiver sets. And I don't think that they're going to be playing, uh, you know, Reed 80, 70, 80, 90 percent of the snaps to start. Uh, they do seem like they want to run some two, uh, tight end sets. Uh, he was in the preseason only out there for 60 or 70 percent of the snaps. So that's my concern with Reed. Uh, and I do think that Jordan Love is looking a little bit better as a sleeper you know he his first game preseason game he looked pretty sharp he missed one throw, but he had a couple couple dimes uh, and looked pretty poised. I don't think he's gonna run much he he should, according to my model run about 14 yards per game he didn't look like he was interested in scrambling at all, but that might just be a preseason situation. Uh, but you know this is a young receiving core and they're gonna have some growing pains. Uh, I do think, at at cost Reed is probably the better bet than than Dobbs just cuz of a talent standpoint but I think Dobbs is going to dominate snaps uh, early on This
2: beyond his team specific stuff Reed and the Packers I'll just say to Reed every year there's like some rookie receivers the market just falls totally asleep on cuz so they don't like the situation they don't like the quarterback whatever and he's a top 50 pick with essentially no buzz whatsoever and you know everyone gets buzz in the kind of circles we're in but he's not getting buzz with like the general public and those kind of guys with the, that real life draft catapult always
0: make for really fine late round zero cost flyers. As they would say in the SEO world, we just gave everyone nine league winning ultimate sleepers. <laughs> Pat, tell everyone where they can find your work. It's at this place called
2: again, called rotoworld.com and R-O-T-O Pat on the Twitter machine. John Revin, I had an article up last week where I tried to rank the fantasy offenses kind of for like tie-breaking purposes. Cause If you don't see a difference between player A and player B, overall offense environment is always a really good place to start. And I included a fantasy dark horse for all 32 teams. Check that out. We're updating our draft guide all the time, which John has taken part in, in the past, really good product still. And yeah, grinding the news like we always do. Um, And by the way, you may be wondering where our Twitter account has been. All I can say is that it will be back. Uh, we, We had a little snafu with our site changeover. And our news tweets, it's coming back, folks. So don't that, worry, it is, not, it is not gone. It is Dynasty, only sleeping.
0: Dynasty Champ has already sniped it. Uh, yeah, it's, o- o- it, it off
2: it's only sleeping. It'll be back
0: very soon. Paulson, what else do you have going on at the site for everyone right now?
1: I've been writing my breakout sleepers and, uh, values articles, uh, knocked out the first three Got wide receivers coming this week. And then I'm going to be rolling out week one projections. I've been asked to do that. So that is like probably my least favorite task in mid August to be doing, but I, I'm going to go ahead and get it done this week.
0: Team previews of mine and my favorite sleepers. Some that we didn't discuss on today's show on the site for four, four subs right now. $39 pro subscription all year long. Until then, we will be back next week with two more episodes. As we understand, it's crutch time and we're ty- trying to get you ready for your draft. So like and subscribe while you're here. Until then, be a little bit kinder to what's quiet. We'll see you next time.